This is the Whole Hog Baseball Podcast, presented by Massage Envy, the first podcast devoted entirely to Arkansas baseball. Featuring insight from Arkansas baseball color analyst Bubba Carpenter. Here's Matt Jones. Arkansas's opening weekend is in the books. The Razorbacks are three and one, but they had a little bit of a scare Tuesday night. They beat Grambling nine to seven at Baumwalker Stadium in a game that the Razorbacks trailed by five runs in the fifth inning. And Bubba, you know, you, you kept thinking this is going to be like the the Arkansas Grambling game that we've seen many times before. It's not the first time that Grambling has given Arkansas a scare. But I tell you, when they hit into double plays at the end of the fifth inning and then at the end of the sixth inning and they're still down by two, three runs at that point. I don't know about you, but for me, it was it was a little bit of, I don't know that they're going to be able to do this. And to their credit, uh, they were able to come in late and uh, get their bats going. Not that the, the offense was really the problem. They, they kind of ran themselves out of some innings, I think, uh, there early on. Uh, I, I was interested to see if the pitching was going to be able to hold Grambling in check. And Cody Frank and Brady Tiger did a nice job of that over the final four and two-third innings after Grambling came out and really swung the bats well. Hey, you got to you tip your hat to Grambling, Matt. They uh, they really did. They they actually outplayed us. I mean, they outhit us 13 to 9, but they made plays. Their center fielder, he's a he's a baller. Uh Burrell, uh Terry Burrell at third. He he can he can go get it in center field. He robbed a few of us of hits last night. But you know what? They just came out and they played good baseball against us. You know, they're excited and and you know, I think I read your article. I think it was you that said something about a trap game or maybe Dave Van Horn said it. And it, it's tough. And I mentioned on the air last night, you know, we're leaving a major league ballpark playing three top top 20 teams. We come back here, you know, on a Tuesday night, even though it's the home opener, you know, it just felt like, uh, you know, it was just different. You know, it's not like we typically open up on a Friday night with, with 10,000 people in the stands. But, you know, Graham played a good game, a little disappointing in uh, a little bit of the pitching. Uh, we left a lot of balls over the middle of the plate. I've got the track man, you know, back in my booth, which I'm really excited about. Hats off to Oliver Grigg uh, for getting that back in my booth. But, you know, you, so you can you can see there were a lot of pitches left over the middle of the plate, especially two strikes, 0-2 and 1-2 counts, too many good hitting pitches. But tip your hat to Grambling. They did a good job of, of putting the barrel on the ball. And But, the you know, the flip side of it, it was good to see this Arkansas team find a way to win. You know, we had to battle back from 6-1 deficit, and we came back and won the game. And that's what good teams do. Hey, see if you can get Oliver to put Trackman in front of me at the baseball games. I, I, I was a little spoiled in Arlington because – uh, because they were playing in a major league ballpark, you got to access the major league uh, uh, stat casts during the game. And so, you know, there was all this, I mean, I've got three links here of, of just incredible uh, data that you can pull from those games against Texas and TCU and Oklahoma state. And I felt a little bit naked almost not having that last night uh, watching the Grambling game. Hey, I'll tell you, Matt, it'll spoil you. It'll spoil you, but it'll make you mad at the same time. Last <laughs> night was a big zone. I mean, it was a really big zone. You know, I, 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 I talk all the time about, you know, about how a hitter's defined by what he doesn't swing at. Well, there are a lot of pitches off the plate that we didn't swing at. We don't want to swing at those pitches that were called strikes. Now, they were called both ways. I mean, it didn't, you know, it didn't hurt us necessarily, but, you know, it just – uh you know, it, it, it does make a little bit of a difference. You know, when that zone gets wide like that, anything can happen, you know, but, you know, our guys ought to take advantage of it. Our pitch staff should take advantage of that zone, especially you get a guy like Brady Tiger on the mound, Cody Frank, well, our whole staff. I mean, they ought to be able to take advantage of the, the pitcher zone that they had last night. Let's talk about Tiger for a minute, because I don't know that I've been as impressed with any other pitcher over these first four games as I've been with him when he was in Texas, that was electric against the Longhorns. And then he comes back on a few days rest and, and pitches well against Grambling, which shouldn't be a surprise. We've seen him pitch multiple times in a weekend before, but the arm just looks really fresh right now with him. He's pitched uh, at, at this point, three and two third innings has not given up a run. Hasn't had a whole lot of base runners and he struck out seven. Uh, it, it looks like the best version of Brady Tiger that we've seen so far. I tell you, he's been incredible. He's, uh, I like the fact that he's mixing in 
you know, he's not just a fastball curveball guy that really relies on the curveball. He did like he did a lot last year. Of course, I mean, that's amazing pitch. You know, the spin rate's down just a little bit from last year, but he's using that slider a lot more. And he's kind of tunneling that fastball off the slider, mixing in the breaking ball still. Uh, so he looks good. He's dominant. And boy, he has that swagger out there. You, you and I saw him pitch that last scrimmage game. And we're like, Ooh, he just doesn't look the same, but that's not his role when he's, he's not, I, I just don't think Brady Tiger, even though he's got the, the pitches to be a starter. I just don't know if that's his role or not. I think he needs to come in and just air it out for an inning, maybe two innings. I mean, that's his, that's, that's where he's at his best. And boy, he has looked really just, just, tremendous and so it's it's been uh it's exciting to see that somebody sent me a text said that uh before he got his last strike uh to get him out of the jam in the eighth inning against texas last friday night that he mouthed at the hitter no chance bro no chance <laughs> well now i don't know i i didn't see that but uh but it, it goes back to the swagger that you're talking does, about i mean he it's does. he is extremely confident in in what he's doing Look, you got to have a little bit of that as a pitcher, especially coming in late in the game. You got to know that you're the freaking man out there on the mound. And then, you know, hey, if that's what it takes, I thought when Brady got that delay called on him, I thought it kind of made him mad, to be honest with you, it, against UT. And it, it's it, it seemed like it just kind of lit a fire under him. Now, maybe that that probably wasn't it. I mean, he's pitching late innings against Texas Longhorns at Globe Life Field. You don't need anything else to get you more fired up than that. But I don't think he liked the delay call he got on him. And I think it kind of pissed him off a little bit. So the delays, that, that was a big uh, topic in the first weekend. Dave Van Horn said it's running the game. David Pierce uh, of Texas uh, said he was not in favor of it. I saw where Jim Schlossnagel uh, tweeted something uh, from, from a game that was not involving Texas A&M, uh, you know, not happy with these rules. Uh, Josh Holiday was asked about it after the game Sunday. Uh, he was a little bit more reserved in his comments. I asked Tim Corbin about it Sunday. He said he likes it. So obviously there's some some differing opinions on this, but uh, what, what you can't deny is is that it's having a, a big impact, at least early this year, as the hitters and the pitchers uh, get used to this. Uh, what, what's your take on it and, and what we saw, especially in the Arkansas TCU game, because I think I counted five times where either a pitcher was assessed a ball or a hitter was assessed a strike, uh, just in that game alone, uh, that that was certainly the the game where it, it stood out the most to me. But like you said, it, it happened in some other games too. Well, it doesn't surprise me that that Tim Corbin likes it because his leadoff hitter is going to steal seventy five bags this year. You know what I mean? I mean, well, like, explain explain why that's why why it benefits a base runner because I've heard other coaches talk about that. Well, because if especially at at Globe Life Field where you can see the clock as a base runner that clock gets down to three, you start to inch off, creep, 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 go. And the pitcher, the pitcher has to either pick or throw to the plate. Well, I mean, he, he can't step, he can step off one time and reset. But after that, he's got to pick or throw to the plate. Well, what's he going to do? Pick 10 times. At some point, he's got to go to the plate. When he goes to the plate, you're going to steal that bag. I mean, it's just, it's that little half step extra jump that a guy leap gets you saw tcu they manipulated the clock against us you know and okay so think about a runner at second base he can time that up every time the only thing a pitcher can do is inside move well he could he could keep inside moving um you know i talked to well anyway i, <laughs> I don't want to get into some of my conversations but you could you could inside move 20 times in a row just to send a me message and say hey this is this is a crap rule we got we got to do something about it but that guy's eventually going to steal third you cannot stop him from stealing third um yeah i guess you can you can call a a, a wheel pick there's things you can do to slow it down but all that's going to do, Matt, is slow the game down more. They're trying to speed the game up, but ultimately it's going to slow the game down because what's going to happen, guys are going to start picking. They don't like it, pick. They don't like it, pick. At second base, you're going to see a ton of inside moves. But guys that can run, are, are it's, they're going to manipulate it. And I, I think uh, Enrique Bradfield, I, th I see him having, I, I don't know, I said 75, shoot, who, no telling how many bags he's going to steal this year because of that. You mentioned that wheel play. We actually have seen a couple of times already this year where 
it looked like Arkansas was running a wheel play, the second baseman going toward the bag, and then a ball is hit past where they were. Do, do you think that, I mean, do you think that might have had a, an impact on those two plays that I'm talking about? It could. It could. I know one was a one was a hit and run. I don't know if it was a hit and run. I can't remember. I want to say there were two strikes, and a guy just hit a ball to the right side. It was they were stealing and hit it to the right side. I don't believe it was a, a hit and run. I think it was just a run and hit, but it did open up the right side of the field. And they hit it out out there. It didn't hit it hard, but just you know dribbled it through the hole. But you know, I, I think you you look at a team like Arkansas. Well, it. it we don't it, we don't have as much time to do our shifts. I mean, there's just a lot of things when you play Razorback baseball. There's a lot of things going on that 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 your average fan doesn't know about. I mean, Dave Van Horn is so far ahead of the rest of the field, you know. And there's there's shifts. Every pitch we're moving a little bit on defense. There's just so many things, and I I, I tell you, I think they're just getting to the point where they're micromanaging the game. And I get it; they want to speed the game up. But I, I think at the end of the day, ultimately, this is going to th- slow things down. If you want to speed the game up, I'll tell you what, I love the, the quicker in-between innings. Pitcher gets out of the dugout, gets out there, gets loose, the inning gets going quicker. I love the mound visit. Uh, some of these coaches, these pitching coaches, take forever to get to the mound. We're blessed to have Matt Hobbs. When Matt Hobbs comes out of the dugout, he gets to the mound and gets back. Uh, he doesn't spend a lot of time out there. He doesn't slow walk it out there. I like the 30-second rule there. You know, um, there's some guys around the SEC and around the country that take forever. But you look at it, look at LSU, look at Jay Johnson. Remember how frustrated we were last year? I don't know if you <laughs> yeah. listened to the broadcast. I thought that was bad baseball. That was that. It was just they. he just slow played us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to help in those cases, but you know, I, I just I, I get it. What I get what they're trying to do, Matt. I just think they're going about. It. I don't think they put enough thought into this. I think they just here. Let's do this. I don't think they gave teams enough time. I don't know when they officially announced it. I have no idea when Dave Van Horner got the official word. Hey, this this is going to be the new rules for this year. But I know they didn't have enough time to work on it. If they're going to do it, do it in the fall. Do it August 1st. Say, okay, here's the new rule, guys. And you got all fall and all spring to work on it. I feel like they didn't do that. And I think it's just another one of those NCAA rules committee rules that go into effect that really they're just not putting enough thought into it. I don't know who came up with the rule. Um, I just think they need to rethink it. And tw- it's got to be tweaked at some point, I think. I think if enough of your big-name coaches and programs complain about it, uh, and even in Major League Baseball, I don't think it's going to work in Major League Baseball either. Now, I guess if it works in MLB, it's going to trickle down and, and we're going to have to adapt or die. But I just I don't think it's going to work, man. I think it's going to be a giant crap show. And it's uh, it's already appears that it started out that way. Well, I mean, you already got big name coaches that are complaining about it. You know, Van Horn, Pierce, Schlossnagel, those are. Uh, you know, big names in sports. So it, it will be interesting if it'll change. Uh, you know, one thing we can guarantee is that it's not going to change this year. So you got to you got to live with it for this season, at least. But, but I know you wanted to make a comment before we talk about the weekend games about the base running uh, against Grambling State. There were some uh, there, there were some moments on the bases last night that that seemed to really frustrate Arkansas coaches. I think so. I think Dave was a little frustrated. You know, you look at like that first inning, we get the first two guys on base, um, you know, and the Brady Slavin sits a ball to left field, kind of a soft liner. Left fielder came in and made a great play, but Stovall gets doubled off. You know, you, you, you can't let that happen right there. Um, you know, he was aggressive on the bases. You saw it again later in the game, you know, Tavian Josenberger doubled off at second, you know, line drive. I think he thought, I really think he thought the ball Stovall hit. He was hit harder. He only hit it 74 miles an hour. He had a little bit of top spin on it. Um, second baseman jumped up and caught it. He gets doubled off at second. That can't happen. You got Jared Wagner coming up behind you, you know, who's leading the team in RBIs. You got you to gotta let Jared hit there. Um, Jason Jones gets jammed on a 1-1 fastball in. That's probably 78 miles an hour. Gets jammed, dribbles it up the middle. You know, it's an easy double play for a shortstop. Now, those things all happen, and and I'm glad they happened in this game against Grambling. You don't want it to happen against LSU. These guys learn from that. I promise you, Stovall won't get doubled off again. Tavian won't get doubled off again. Next time Jason Jones gets a 1-1 fastball in with the bases loaded, he ain't going to get jammed and dribble it up the middle. 
double plays, whether you're on the bases, a lot of times they're just aggressive base running. But those were plays that could have been avoided. Uh, the Jason Jones ones, I tell my hitters all the time, hey, look, hitting into a double play is bad pitch selection or bad timing. Now, every once in a while, guys will make a great pitch. You can't control it with two strikes. But until you get two strikes, you can avoid double plays by putting the barrel in the right spot on the right pitch. And, you know, Jason Jones, a young hitter, ton of talent, got beat last night. It won't happen again. So uh, I'm glad all those things happen, though. I really am because I know I know Dave was frustrated. But, man, let's get that stuff. Let's learn from it early in the season. Then we get into conference play. Those things won't happen. Let's talk about Arlington. The Razorbacks went two and one. They beat Texas three to two on opening night, lost to TCU 18 to six and defeated Oklahoma State 18 to one in seven innings. Uh, on the OSU game, Bubba, I was really impressed with the way that Arkansas bounced back and, and played that day because, uh, you know, they, I mean, they, they got a hand it to them the night before against TCU and, uh, you know, lost by 12 runs. And, you know, it's, there wasn't, a whole lot of time to maybe process that game and, and get it out of their system before they got back on the field. And I, I guess maybe sometimes that helps players. Sometimes it hurts. It, it just kind of depends on the the situation, but uh, boy, they looked really good against Oklahoma state came out and, you know, hit them in the mouth early and, and, and really never let up. And uh, I was, you know, they, they talked about there being a run rule before the game. And I, I remember thinking, Oh, there's no way that, that this game's going to end in a run rule. And lo and behold, Oklahoma State just didn't look like they were up for the challenge at all. No, they didn't. And, hey, hey, hats off to the Razorback team. I mean, they came out, like you said, you know, a lot of times after a game like that TCU, that, that was tough. That was, that was tough to sit through. I know, I know the staff was frustrated. The players were frustrated. The pitchers were frustrated. Says a lot about the toughness of this team. And I think that goes back to Dave Van Horn and the staff. It's just telling these guys, hey, let's, let's go home, flush this game out get some sleep. Sun's going to come up in the morning. Let's come back out and start all over. You know, you almost have to approach every game and, and it's kind of, I don't know. A lot of people say this, but for me, I try to approach every game like opening day. You flush the game before it's opening day. Let's play this game. Forget about what happened yesterday. And if you can do that, you know, Baseball is a lot easier game to play. And I think that's what this team did. And I tell you what, I think, uh, you know, there was some talk of who's your daddy. I, I think I think it's official. We own Oklahoma State right now. I don't think they like playing us. We beat them in every aspect of the game. Now, granted, when we got to a certain point in the game, they did what we did against TCU. They brought in some young pitchers. I think the, the, the pitch clock, going back to that, I don't want to beat it to death, but the pitch clock really affected the Oklahoma State pitchers because they use the wristband. So they're getting a sign. They're looking at the wristband. They're getting up. They're engaging the batter. And then, boom, they look up, and it's, it's two seconds on the clock, and they got to throw a pitch. And I really think they rushed. Uh, they left some balls over the middle of the plate. We hammered them. They either walked us or, or left some balls over the middle of the plate. I think it affected them. I think the Arkansas pitchers, on the other hand, did a great job of adapting uh, from the night before. Hunter Holland was spectacular on the mound. I'm sure we'll talk about him in a little bit. But, man, he was, he was great. It was huge for him to come out and kind of set the tempo and quieten down those OSU bats early on. Arkansas scored 13 two out runs against Oklahoma state. I, I can't remember a lot of times when Arkansas has had that type of two out success against uh, an opponent. That's that's as quality as Oklahoma state is uh, five of them came from Jared Wechter. He had the bases clearing triple in the second inning, had the two run home run to left field in the third inning. And, you know, you, you look on social media during the game and, and people who, where did Jared Wagner come from? Who is this guy? Well, you and I have seen it for, you know, the last several weeks in, in the scrimmages, uh, I don't know that what he did surprised me at all, uh, but it is a, a good indication that, that this is a, a player who uh, plays the game just like he practices. And, and I think if you've ever spent very much time around Jared, that shouldn't surprise you at all. What a what a weekend he had, SEC Player of the Week in his first weekend as a Razorback. Oh, it's impressive. And I really like him in that three-hole. You know, five hole was okay, but when Dave moved him up to that three hole, I love him hitting in between Stovall and Slavens. You got that big righty in between two lefties. Um, you got to pitch to him because people are scared of Slavens. You know, Slavens got a little bit of swing and miss in his swing, 
But I tell you what, he's going to hit 15 or 16 home runs every year. He's going to hit a bunch of doubles. He'll drive in a bunch of runs. So pitchers don't like pitching to Brady Slavens. Therefore, I think Jared Wagner's going to get a lot of pitches to hit. And the thing about Jared that's so impressive is how he takes pitches. I actually texted him after the game, and I asked him, I said, hey, the way you took some of those sliders, it looked like you were sitting on them. You know, I, and I just wanted to know if, if that's your approach, if he was sitting on off-speed pitches in certain situations. And, you know, he's a guy that just pretty much goes up there. He's a pure hitter. He look, hits off the fastball, reacts to the off-speed. He says he trusts his eyes, and that's what good hitters do. They trust their eyes. You don't, you don't trust your brain. You got to turn that brain off and just trust your eyes, trust your training. And that's what he does. And, boy, he's, he seems early on to just have a knack for getting that run in from third base, and that's huge. Wagner right now already has 10 RBI through four games. Uh, his OPS during the Grambling game actually fell from 2,000 to a little over 1,700. Uh, you know, slacker. Uh, but, I mean, he's, he's batting 500 right now. I, I just don't think you could ask for uh, much of a better debut than what Jared Wagner had. Uh, against TCU, they lose that game 18-6. to And you mentioned this. Uh, they bring in a lot of young arms, uh, especially late in that game. Uh, didn't get a good start from Will McIntyre. We saw this again against Grambling, and we're going to talk more about pitchers here in a minute. Uh, but but it seems like he's leaving uh, his pitches up in the zone right now, and that's not his game. He's he's a pitcher that's got to really get them down uh, with the type of pitchers or the type of pitches that he throws. Uh, you know, and, and I mean he's he's an experienced pitcher. I, I would expect that he's going to work his way through that. Uh, but they they threw a lot of young pitchers. I, I think I counted they had five or six. Uh, pitchers who made their debut in a division one game uh, against TCU. And, you know, you kind of have to tip your cap to TCU too. I know they lost to Missouri in the finale uh, down in Arlington, but uh, boy, they, they played really good baseball over three days, at least offensively. They scored 11 runs had 12 hits against Vanderbilt scored 18 runs against Arkansas. Even in the loss against Missouri, they scored uh, eight runs. That looked like a really good TCU game. Uh, but from an Arkansas perspective, Bubba, what did you see that night? Well, I think, I think first of all, I think even Will McIntyre was affected by the base runners, the way they're shuffle, shuffle. You, you notice they, they've got that lead where they're sh it's a short lead. I actually work on it with some of our guys. Some of my players are really good at it. Some of them aren't. But you get a short lead. You kind of shuffle, shuffle. You're anticipating a pitcher going to the plate. So a pitcher's either a one-look guy or two-look guy. And a one-look guy has a routine he falls into. Your two-look guy, believe it or not, is just as easy to steal off of as your one-look guy because he has the same timing. He just gives you an extra look. And so they did a really good job of timing them up. But they use that. They, I hate to keep going back to it but they really use that clock to their advantage. The clock, the base runners. And I said it during the broadcast. I said, I think these guys can see, I didn't know there were clocks behind home plate that the base runners could see, but I suspected it because you could see they timed it up every time the Razorback hit pitchers came set three, two, one, and, and the, the runners were gone. And I think it affected them. I think it affected will a little bit. It sped him up. He left a lot of balls up in the zone. You know, I don't think it affected Zach Morris as much. He's a lefty. You know, he can see a lot of what's going on. They have an advantage. But, boy, you look at Gage Wood, um, you know, Austin Ledbetter, Parker Coyle, you know, Dylan, uh, Sean Fitzpat Fitzpatrick. It didn't really he, – he was lefty. You know, I think he's going to be a good one. So, I still like him. But Dawson, I've watched Cooper Dawson pitch – you know, since he was a kid and he was rushed, he really was, even though that was late in the game, you know, I, I still feel like these guys were rushed, but hats off to TCU. I mean, they played a great game. I would have bet the house, Matt, that they would have beat. I, I think I even said that. I said, I would have bet the house that they would have beat uh, Mizzou. I, I didn't think Missouri had a chance against them. So, uh, you know, big win for Missouri against them right there. But they they really did. Hey, they're a veteran team, and they're built for this type of play. They're built to run bases. But anytime Razorback pitchers made a mistake, they hammered it. And the thing that really stood out to me is when we made good pitches, they didn't chase them. I don't think they chased a pitch or two out of the zone the whole game. TCU uh, is, is picked to win the Big 12, by the way, and, and Big 12 baseball is is really good baseball. Uh, that ought to be that ought to be mentioned. You mentioned Gage Wood. 
I thought that uh, the outing that he had against uh, Oklahoma State on Sunday uh, was really good to see after he struggled against TCU. Van Horn said afterward that he thought maybe that the, I don't know if he said the moment was too big for him, but but maybe he was just too nervous uh, coming in and facing TCU in that situation. He came back and, and just dominated against Oklahoma State in the final inning of that game. Uh, you mentioned the pitch clocks are uh, behind the plate at the Rangers stadium. It's different, you know, from ballpark to ballpark. The NCAA just says you have to have pitch clocks that are visible. And in the SEC, the pitch clock is on the wall. So you think maybe teams will play it differently at the Rangers ballpark than they might at Palm Walker. I think so. I think it's going to be a little bit harder to time it up. The hard part for me is figuring out exactly when the clock starts, you know? So I talked to Troy Eklund, Brett Dolan, and, and, and we, we talked a little bit and, and Phil yesterday about the rules, um, exactly when the pitcher's clock starts. So if you're standing on the edge of the dirt, it doesn't start as you start up the mound, up the, the, the slope of the mound to the rubber, the clock starts. I believe the rule is, the first, the start of the inning, the umpire signals the clock is started. After that, I don't think he signals that the clock starts. So I don't know when you exactly know. And, you know, one thing I said to Matt Hobbs yesterday, I'm like, well, how do our pitchers know? How are they going to know where they're at on the clock? Because the clock's behind them. They can't see it, you know. And I don't know. It's, I think it's going to be tough. And I don't know how many ballparks are going to have the clock in front. I know Baum Walker does not have a clock in front now maybe next year we will maybe I don't know if that's something you can add in the middle of the season I, I don't know how that works but I think it's going to be a little bit tougher for pitchers I think it's easier when you can see the, the clock it might get in your head but as a pitcher I'd want to know exactly where I'm at but you know last night it did really come into play our guys got on the mound last night and threw the ball I don't think it really affected them at all or, or, you know, grambling, to be honest with you. So I don't know, Matt, it, it, it's tough where that clock's going to be in other ballparks. Arkansas beat Texas three to two in the season opener. Uh, I thought the key to that game, Bubba, was how many pitches Arkansas made Lucas Gordon throw in the second, third and fourth innings. They really drove his pitch count up in those innings and, and he ended up only going five innings and, uh, being pulled after about 85 pitches uh, pitch efficiency was something that I, I was looking at, you know, quite a bit there during that game. I think Gordon had thrown 73 pitches through four innings. And at that point, Hagen Smith had only thrown 45. Now Hagen got into uh, a jam in the fifth when he walked the first two batters and that ended up driving up his pitch count and, and he had to leave after five innings. That's, that's as far as both pitchers went. Uh, but uh, you know, the, and, and it wasn't just with, with Gordon. I, I thought we saw that with Arkansas against all of the starting pitchers in particular down in Arlington. They, they did a really nice job of, of driving up their pitch counts and, and really making them work for their outs. Y'all, I, I agree. I tell you, the thing that I really like about it, Lucas Gordon, he, he's, a, he's, he's tough. I mean, he's a, he's a good pitcher. He's got a really quick arm. Guys with that quick arm. Uh, it's hard to pick up the ball. So our guys, even though a few players didn't get hits, they fouled off a ton of pitches. Um, there were several guys that fouled off multiple two-strike pitches, made him work. And I thought that was a big key is getting him out of there. But then if you look, look what we did to Cam Wood. Um, Cam Wood, he, he went an inning in two-thirds, 48 pitches, you know, and then and then against Oklahoma State, you know, Baden Root, an inning in a two-thirds, you know, 43 pitches, four hits, five runs. If we can do that, if we can, if we can grind out at bats early in the game and get to that other team's bullpen, I tell you what, we're going to be a, we're going to be a, a, a team that's a scary team, and I think our offense has that capability. I think there's fewer chase pitches. We don't see guys swinging as many pitches out of the zone, even though it's early in the year and pitching's typically ahead of the hitters. I thought our guys did a really good job. And so I was, I was really impressed with that. And that TCU game, Hey, that's, that's baseball. Shoot. You, you look a couple years ago. Remember we got beat by Alabama first sec game at home. I don't even remember what the score was. I'm 16 sure you to know. one. Yeah. So I try to, I try to flush those games <laughs> and then look what happened. We went on the win, you know, end up in Omaha. So, you know, you don't put a whole lot of stock in that. I think it's good though. These games are good learning experiences. Even those freshmen that got in to go pitch against TCU, 
look, they, I know they all want the ball again because they know they're better than that. And that's a tough environment. I tell you, I can't imagine. I talked to Nate Thompson yesterday about it. I said, man, can you imagine your first collegiate game being in Globe Life Field in a major league ballpark like that? I said, it's overwhelming for a, for a young kid. And uh, I was really glad they gave the ball back to Gage Wood on, on Sunday, and he dominated. I mean, he struck out the side against Oklahoma State. That's the Gage Wood that we're going to see. And when he came out of the game against TCU, I said, hey, this kid's going to get a whole lot of outs for us this year. That's nothing. Don't worry about these 10 pitches. Forget about them because this kid's going to be the real deal. The crowds were incredible in Arlington. I mean, it was uh, the, the smallest attendance for an Arkansas game there was announced at 15,700. And for the TCU game, it was announced at over 20,000. I thought there would be more people there for the Texas game. I was a little disappointed in the number of UT fans that showed up. I mean, they were outnumbered probably three or four to one by the Arkansas fans in the ballpark. The The number of people that, that came and, and supported the Razorbacks uh, was really incredible. I mean, even the, the TCU game, when there's over 20,000 people there, you're playing 20 miles from TCU's campus and granted TCU's a, a small alumni and, and fan base relative to most of the others in Texas. But I mean, it, it was, it was easily two to one, maybe three to one red to purple in a 20,000 seat, uh, you know, attendance that night. Uh, and if you get the chance to go to one of these early season events at the Rangers ballpark, do yourself a favor and go to them. It is, it's a great atmosphere, Bubba. It's like, um, I think you mentioned the other day, Christian Franklin once called it like the college world series in February. It's like a bowl game. It's, it's, I think maybe it's kind of with as many Arkansas people that have gone down there. Now it reminds me a little bit of the old Southwest conference basketball tournaments at reunion arena. Uh, when the 16,500 seat arena might have 15,000 people from Arkansas in it. It was that type of feel in the ballpark. You know, it was great. And, you know, we say all the time, best best baseball fans in, in college baseball are Razorback fans. And, and boy, they really showed out this weekend. When we go to Omaha, we just dominate. We take over the city of Omaha. But, you know, we're not just good fans. We, we understand the game, Matt, and, and most of the fans do. And, and I think that's really cool. You know what? There were, there were a few moments that stood out to me. I really love the fact when Dylan Leach came up um, – against Vandy in the last inning, bottom of the ninth. It was against Texas. I mean, against Texas. Yeah. Hog fans are, are they're calling the hogs for him, you know? Um, and he comes up with a huge base hit, you know, and then you see Razorback players hugging Dylan down on the field. You know, Dylan's the guy that transfer out of the program. A lot of these guys would be like, ah, he's out of here. Let him go. But, you know, they're hugging him. Um, and that's just a brotherhood that you have, you know, once a Razorback, always a Razorback. I thought that was really cool. And another thing, believe it or not, you're going to be shocked to hear me say this, but, but even when uh, rock Grigio dove for a ball at second base and, you know, made a tremendous play, hurt his shoulder trainer had to come out on the field. When the trainer walked off the field, our fans even cheered, you know, I mean, we hate Rock Grigio. Our fans hate Rock Grigio. He showed us up. He showed our players up. He showed everybody up last year, and he tried to do it again the beginning of the game. But we appreciate good players, and, and we cheered for him, the fact that he was, he was okay. And I think that says a lot about our fans. Now, we were booing him the next time he came up to the plate, but you know we cheered for him once we saw he was okay. And, and that says a lot about our fans. There's a lot of crossover between the two fan bases. I hear a lot of people compare Arkansas fans to Cardinal fans in the major leagues, and maybe that shouldn't be uh, too much of a surprise. On the Leach deal, what an incredible moment. You can watch baseball for the rest of your life, and, and, and you may never see another uh, moment like what happened with Dylan Leach. He walks off Arkansas's biggest rival in Texas. Uh, you know They call the Hogs for him as he's coming to the plate. They call him for him. Uh, as he, uh, you know, celebrating with his Missouri teammates. And then what was really cool about that is in that interaction with the coaches and with the players, they had brought his college world series ring uh, with them to give to him at some point uh, when they saw him in Arlington. And so as he's, you know, being right after he gets mobbed by his Missouri teammates, he gets his college world series ring from Arkansas. Uh, Just, uh, I mean, again, you just, that, that confluence of events, uh, you you may never see anything like that again. Just a, a really, really neat, unique moment there on the second night of the college baseball showdown. 
The Whole Hog Baseball Podcast is sponsored by Massage Envy, voted the best day spa and best massage in all of Northwest Arkansas. You can visit Mike and his staff in Tuscany Square at 2603 West Pleasant Grove Road in Rogers or in Fayetteville at 3557 North Shiloh Drive. Massage Envy has services for everyone. MassageEnvy.com. Massage Envy with clinics in Rogers and Fayetteville has been awarded Northwest Arkansas's best day spa and best massage. One of the reasons is our care for athletes, both serious and recreational. We now offer rapid tension relief sessions using a high caliber vibrating tool and total body stretch sessions like the ones used by the PGA. Both of these new services can be combined with the always popular deep muscle treatment. So whether you compete or just want to relax, there is no place better than Massage Envy. Wholehogsports.com has the largest, most experienced staff of reporters covering sports in Arkansas. Football, basketball, baseball, recruiting, and more. You'll find it at wholehogsports.com. The website includes up-to-minute news, daily commentaries, and award-winning photography from the staffs of Hogs Illustrated and the Democrat Gazette. For subscriptions, call 1-800-757-6277. That's 1-800-757-6277. Or visit us online today. Wholehogsports.com. With almost 30 years in business, a Teague Law Firm can help with most family law and criminal law issues. Call James and the Teague Law Firm at 479-531-2785. Quick run through the SEC. Uh, we mentioned Arkansas had trouble with grambling on Tuesday night. They were, were not the only team. It was a good reminder, Bubba, that there are uh, no gimme wins uh, in college baseball, not even some of these midweek games. LSU had come back from a four-run deficit to beat Southern in Baton Rouge, and then some upsets. Uh, I know you saw this one. UCA goes to Nashville and beats Vanderbilt six to five. Uh, Texas A&M lost on its home field to Lamar seven to four, and Mississippi State lost eleven to five on its home field to uh, Louisiana Monroe. Again, a, a good reminder that y- you can't take any win for granted. Uh, you can't. I tell you, in today's transfer portal, uh, it's it's crazy. You know, we we, we can still blame a little bit of it on the COVID players you know, the trickle down effect, but right now with the, the transfer portal, Matt, you know, you think about it, think about all the guys that come into Arkansas and then it's semester, several of them leave, they, they go to another school and it's just a trickle down effect. And so even some of your lower tier teams are getting great players because of that trickle down effect. Mm-hmm. They just leave one school, go to another. And, and, and that's what you're seeing right now in college baseball. It's probably the best college baseball you're ever going to see and it's old it's a lot of veteran guys uh the draft shorter now you're down to 20 rounds so a lot of guys are coming back and playing college baseball you got nil money a lot of guys are turning down draft money to come play because they're getting nil money and and so i mean it's a great time to be playing college baseball Trey Morgan hit for a cycle and lsu's went over southern on tuesday night and he did it in order bubba he had a a single in the second inning a three-run double in the third, a three-run triple in the fifth, and a two-run homer in the sixth. Uh, so that's eight RBI, by the way. Uh, it's kind of rare that you see a, a cycle, and even rarer when you see a, a player do it in order the way he did. And then did you see uh, Did you see the defensive tackle hit a home run for Ole Miss on Tuesday night? No, I did not. <laughs> it's Tywon Malone. He's six foot four. And he weighs 315 pounds. He's a defensive tackle on the Ole Miss football team. Uh, and he homered over there, or he homered uh, against Arkansas State during their win on Tuesday night in uh, in Oxford. It went 431 feet, which uh, I guess when you're 315 pounds and you can get a hold of a baseball, you're probably going to send it quite a ways. <laughs> yeah, that that's a big old boy. I tell you what, some of those big guys, though, they don't have the bat speed. I, I don't. I haven't seen this guy hit, or I don't remember him hitting. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a lot of weight. They say mass is gas, so you know <laughs> that applies when you're swinging a bat, also. Uh, at Ole Miss, uh, kind of a, a big story potentially bring Hunter Elliott, their left-hander who was so good last year, especially in the postseason, uh, awaiting an MRI to see uh, if he might have that that dreaded elbow injury that uh, you know you see see happening so much with the. Uh, Prominent pitchers in the SEC over the last few years, uh, uh, Mike Bianco didn't have much of an update on him after Tuesday night, but there's a lot of speculation that that he might be done uh, for the rest of the year. That would be a, a big blow to Ole Miss. 
Yeah, you're right. Boy, you hate to hear that. And, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of questions the last couple of weeks about why is this happening? You know, what, you know, what's going on? Is there something that they're doing in their training? Well, look, this has been happening for for a long time i think mm -hmm. that there's so much more media coverage now we hear about it where before we didn't mm -hmm. and on the flip side of that you also got guys throwing harder they're bigger stronger they're generating more arm speed it's an unnatural movement so something's got to give and it's that ucl ligament that's going to give and so you know it's just part of the game and you know these guys now it used to be a death sentence back in the day. Now these guys are coming back better, you know, a, a year of recovery and they typically come back throwing harder with better stuff. And so, you know, it's frustrating. You, you hate to see it for anybody. You know, I don't care if he's an Ole Miss player or what he's, he's a, he was a really good pitcher. He'll come back from this and end up pitching in the big leagues. And that would be two years or, or two times in three years for Ole Miss that this potentially happened to their ace. They remember uh, Gunnar Hoagland had to have Tommy John surgery in 2021. Again, we don't know if, if, if that's what's going to happen with Hunter Elliott, uh, but there's a lot of speculation out there uh, that, that that might be on the horizon for him. Uh, change of plans this week. Hey, Bubba, how would you like this? Auburn was supposed to go to Los Angeles this weekend to play Southern Cal. There is a winter storm that is in the forecast for Southern California this weekend. And so instead, USC is going to come to Auburn to play three games at Plainsman Park. Uh, kind of interesting, Alabama is also supposed to go out to Southern California to play Pepperdine in Malibu. And so far, that series, uh, no changes have been announced for it. I guess they're still going to go out there and try to play it. But uh, instead of Auburn going to USC, now USC is going to come to Alabama. Who would have ever thought that, right? And I tell you, that's what makes our, our deal with Globe Life feel even more special, Matt, because we know what we're going to get. We know that every year when we take our, our trip, we're going to play in, in a in, we're going to get to play. We don't have to worry about rain, snow, anything. So as long as we can get there, we're going to play. And so, yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of an oddity to see that happen. I mean, can you imagine being the ops guy trying to, to handle the logistics of a, of, a, of a change like that? I know that's crazy <laughs> there, you know, and you kind of feel for those guys because everyone wants to go out West and play in Cali, yep. you know, so you kind of feel bad for the Auburn players. Yeah. Uh, not a whole lot of upsets in the SEC uh, on the first weekend of the season, although Tennessee did lose twice during its trip to uh, Arizona. They, they played three teams in, in three days, just like the Razorbacks did in Texas. Uh, they lost to Arizona on the first night, went to Grand Canyon's home stadium in the Phoenix area on the second night and lost. And then they beat uh, San Diego on day three. But there weren't any of those big upsets. You know, like last year, you had Long Beach State going into Starkville and beating Mississippi State in the, the first week of the season. Uh, there weren't any of those in terms of winning the series. There, there were some upsets. Uh, for instance, uh, Mississippi State lost to VMI, the Virginia Military Institute. But, but they lost a game where they were leading 10 to 1. They lost 14 to 13. And VMI won that game with only seven hits. Mississippi State walked them 12 times. There were three errors. VMI also scored on a wild pitch, and they stole home in an inning. <laughs> That's a bad night right there. <laughs> That's some of the stuff that seemed to plague Mississippi yeah. State last season. And, yeah. you know, people were wondering why is a team that's two years removed from a national championship picked to finish last in the SEC West? Uh, yeah, I don't know that, that things have improved a whole lot there year over year. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. To be that just up and down, I get it. You know, it's it's a tough game. But, I mean, look at, look at Dave Van Horn. I mean, we're just steady Eddie, even keel. You know what you're going to get out of this Razorback team every year, year in and year out. They're just going to reload. But yeah, to see, I don't know if that's bad coaching or or just bad luck. I, who knows? But yeah, it's crazy <laughs> to see kind of the ups and downs that they've had. We mentioned Tennessee. One of the big stories of the first weekend is that Maui Ahuna, uh, their shortstop, who's probably going to be a first round draft pick this year, uh, transfer from Kansas, has not been cleared to play at Tennessee yet. And so that's going to be interesting to see uh, if he gets cleared. Bo, you know this. I mean, it's a great lineup they have at Tennessee. They've got a great pitching staff, but you take a player of that caliber out of the lineup and it really changes things. Oh, without a doubt, especially you take a shortstop out of there. I mean, look at, you know, picture our team last year, take Jalen Battles out of our lineup and, you know, all the plays he made. We don't, 
we don't end up where we ended up last year, I don't think. Um, so that's a huge hit to them if they don't get that figured out and get him in a lineup. I don't even know what the issue is. I read that he wasn't uh, wasn't had been reinstated yet, so I don't I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's, but it's, hey, I did I did see a. a Go ahead, answer that, and then I've got a question oh, I, I was, for you. Well, I mean, you go ahead. I, I did read where there was some sort of level three violation with him where maybe he got a plane ticket from Tennessee before uh, all the paperwork was complete, something very minor uh, from, from what it sounds like. It, it doesn't sound like it ought to be taking this long uh, for him to get cleared. Well, there's probably NCAA more stuff. Exactly. But with uh, with Tennessee, there's a lot of shenanigans going on there, Matt. So there's no telling what what's going on. There might be more than a plane ticket. It could have been a plane ticket in a car or something. <laughs> Who knows? But I uh, Troy Eklund read me a, a rule yesterday and they talked about the celebrations and they're, you know, they've changed some of the on field stuff. So you can't do like they can't bring their fur coat out to the home plate now. That's right. Yep. All that stuff has to be in the dugout now, which Hey, one rule I finally agree with that the NCAA Rules Committee put in that I really like. I would assume that was part of the NCAA Rules Committee, but you know the celebrations have to uh, have to be in the dugout. I think that's a good thing. You know, we did the hog hat, but we didn't mm -hmm. we didn't really pimp the hog hat. Dave was a finger one year. Yeah, I mean, no, that's that's little, but boy, things got out of control last year with a fur coat, and some of the other crap going on. So, hey, I'm glad they I'm glad they changed that. If you do all that, do it in the dugout so I can't see it. Yeah, you can still come out and celebrate a home run. You know, like, for instance, Grambling came out uh, after they hit a home run uh, and, you know, kind of did that boom deal like like Ole Miss does. You can still do that. It's it's the props. You can't right. have the props to celebrate home runs outside the dugout a few games in the sec to watch this week uh, or series ucla goes to vanderbilt that's a nice series uh, also one that may be flying under the radar a little bit maryland goes to old miss both of those teams are ranked in the top 15 of the coaches poll arizona states at mississippi state it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out and lsu goes to the round rock classic hopefully it'll be a little bit warmer for them uh, than it was uh, for arkansas last year lsu is going to play kansas state iowa and sam houston state there right outside of Austin. The Whole Hog Baseball Podcast is brought to you in part by the Teague Law Firm. James Teague has joined his father, Robert, at Teague Law Firm, which has been around nearly 30 years and was voted best in Northwest Arkansas in 2019 and 2021. James can help you with most family law matters, including divorce, custody, and child support. He can also help with criminal law, including felony and misdemeanor offenses. If you have an estate need, James at Teague Law Firm can fill your need there too. Teague Law Firm is a full-service law firm where you will talk to actual lawyers. They'll call you back and they'll give you their direct sell. Call James and the Teague Law Firm at 479-531-2785. That's 479-531-2785. Or visit them online at teague-law.com. The Teague Law Firm, if we can't help you, we'll talk baseball. As a former Razorback pitcher, James Teague spent years closing innings. Now he's closing cases. With almost three decades in business, the Teague Law Firm can help with most family law issues and criminal law. Call James and the Teague Law Firm at 479-531-2785 or visit them at teague-law.com. Want more coverage of your home team? Download the Whole Hog Sports Video On Demand app. Check out the Fan Zone and get up-to-the-minute videos, podcasts, and features on football, basketball, baseball, recruiting, and more. Search for Whole Hog Sports on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire at home. And take it with you on the go by downloading it for your mobile device in your app store. The Whole Hog Sports Video On Demand app. Get it today. Bubba, after the Grambling game on Tuesday, Dave Van Horn said that there might be a tweak coming to the weekend rotation. The fact that uh, Will McIntyre threw during that Grambling game, probably the fact that, that he struggled some. Uh, in, in the you know two short outings that he's had to this point in the season. It sounds like they're going to go Hagen Smith on Friday. They're going to go Hunter Holland on Sunday. And they may TBA it on Saturday this weekend against Eastern Illinois. What have you seen from Will McIntyre? And, and if he can't go, who do you think some of the pitchers are that, that might step in and, and fill that role? Well, the thing I've seen from him, Matt, is we, we touched on it earlier. He's leaving a lot of pitches up. You know, so Will McIntyre's a guy. He's not a high velo guy. Yeah, he can run it up a little bit when he needs to, but his outs are down in the zone. He's better when he starts that ball over the plate, sinks it, cuts it. 
you know, keeps it below the knees. Um, he's just left a lot of pitches up in the zone. And, you know, it's uh, it, when you do that against college hitters, they're going to hit the ball hard. That's really the main thing I've seen. I mean, he's throwing strikes. He's, he's not giving up a lot of walks. He's just getting hit hard. And it's just a matter of him getting back and finding that, you know, getting that feel again and get that ball back down in the zone. And I think he's going to be all right. You know, he, he, he showed what he can do last year. You know, I hope he gets back because, you know, you think about it, you talk about guys that could replace him, you know, Cody Adcock could be a guy that could jump in that starting role, but I love Cody Adcock where he's at right now, kind of the back end of that pin. In my opinion, you know, we kind of have a little, little bit of a right-handed three-headed monster at the end of the pin. I love Cody, Cody Frank, Cody Adcock, and uh, uh, Brady Tiger at the end of the bullpen. So if Will McIntyre can't get it done, it looks like to me you're going to have to take a guy like a uh, – you know, possibly Cody Adcock, Zach Morris could take that role on. He's, he's looked okay. He had a rough night last night, left some pitches over the plate last night, but you know, Zach's a guy that could start, but then you're throwing three lefties and I don't think, I don't think you want to do that. So, you know, what, what do you think on that, on that, Matt? I'm not sure. You know, I mean, this is where you miss Jackson Wiggins because if, if Wiggins was healthy, this is where he feel he fits into the rotation. Um, you know, I, I do agree with you. I don't know if you want to put all your left-handers up at the start of a game because you want to have some of those at the, the back end of games. I kind of think Adcock might be the, the most logical uh, one there just because he does have starting experience, quite a bit of it. Uh, started at Ole Miss uh, a couple of years ago, of course, started in junior college last year. That would probably be the one, you know, but you may see Arkansas approach this Bubba like like Oklahoma State approached their Sunday game. I don't know that that was a starter necessarily so much as it was an opener. Yeah, you're right, and and that might be something. And as good as you look at Hagen Smith, if Hagen Smith can go out on Friday night and dominate like he did against the Longhorns on Friday night, you know, and get a lot of outs, uh, not get his pitch count up, you know, and go deep into the game on Friday, then that saves that bullpen and we can do a true bullpen, do an opener on Saturday. And then we know we got Hunter Holland coming back on Sunday. And, uh, you know, that might be, that might be a really good recipe right there. Cause there's a lot of good arms that can come in and get an out or two or, or go an inning or two. So that might be an option just to throw in. And the thing this bullpen can do, uh, I love the way they've constructed this staff. They can give you a lot of different looks out of that bullpen. So that might be something that, that works for the Razorbacks. You know, it's been a while since we've done that, had that, that opener and, and had to go. We typically have three good starters we can count on, but if, you know, if will can't get it done, then, and, you know, we'll see. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Dave tried it this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, mentioned Hagen Smith, by the way, uh, his top pitch velocity against Texas the other night, according to this wonderful uh, Major League Baseball data that I have here in front of me, 97.8 miles an hour. I can't remember Hagen Smith throwing like that last year. No, I can't either. Now, that was just the first inning. You know, his velo dropped a little bit after that. But you're right. And they say if that thing said 97.8, it's right. It's not like the ball marker scoreboard, which fluctuates a little bit. What that says, that's that, that's what it was. And, uh, boy, he just looked so good, man. It was awesome watching him pitch. And I'll say it, what, what I liked the most is when he got in a jam in the fifth inning, uh, walked the first two batters, you know, I, I, I don't think it was a very smart move, but, you know, I'm not David Pierce. I would not have bunted right there with two mm -hmm. freshmen coming up that have already struck out um, to face Hagen Smith. But, boy, when they bunted the runners, they had runners second and third one out. He found a way to get out of that jam. He reached back. You know, I say all the time he bowed his neck. Uh, but but he just he just flipped that switch on right there, really showed his maturity and his toughness, got two big strikeouts to get out of that inning. And that showed me a lot because early in the game, there, were, there weren't a lot of high-stress pitches. I mean, he just pretty much cruised. But that situation, that, that's when you really see what's inside a guy. And, boy, he stepped up. You know, Kendall Diggs had the the big hit in that game that that broke the scoreless tie in the seventh inning, and and there was a you know loud ovation uh, when he got that. That was one of those moments you could kind of feel coming, though. I think Arkansas had gotten the first two or three runners on uh, base in that inning, and and you know you you felt like unless they just really messed things up, they were going to get some runs there. You didn't know what was going to happen with Hagen Smith after he walked those first two batters in the fifth and I thought when he got that strikeout to end the fifth inning that was the loudest pop I heard in the stadium all night yeah 
yeah it got loud it was awesome it was it was a, a pretty neat moment there uh hunter holland uh he he admitted after the game that he didn't have his best stuff against Oklahoma state. He said, but you know, when you've got 10 runs in the third inning, it's, it's pretty easy just to throw the ball over the plate. And, uh, you know, he ends up giving them four good innings. Uh, I think that, you know, he would have liked to have seen himself maybe get into the fifth, uh, you know, maybe give him a, a five inning start there, but uh, all things considered, it, it was a pretty nice start for him against Oklahoma state. Well, here's what's exciting. If you look at it, Matt, we got two lefties in our rotation that's going to pitch in the major leagues and probably pitch for a long time in the major leagues. Um, that's exciting. That's really exciting. Our Friday guy and our, our Sunday guy are both major league quality guys, lefties. And uh, I was really impressed with Hunter. And, and he said he didn't have his best stuff. I tell you what, I thought he looked real good. Uh, he made some really tough pitches. And something that stands out to me, and I, I think I even brought it up last week, you know, when you, the best way to know about a pitcher is talk to hitters. And uh, Matt Turner or uh, Michael Turner, when he told me about facing Hunter Holland, he said he threw me a couple of two backdoor two seam fastballs. That's such a hard pitch to execute. And, and Michael Turner said it was, it was freaking nasty. And he said, it's unhittable if he can do that. And he pitches from the far third base side of the rubber, about as far to that side as you can get. And you can tell that he uses that angle uh, to help his pitch shaping into the zone. And uh, so he, he's, he's a good one, man. I'm super excited about him. He, to, to have him on a Sunday uh, is, is huge for us. But boy, it, it really hurts. Can you imagine if we, if we still had Jackson Wiggins in there? that talk about a tough rotation, but you know, it, it's, it's baseball. You, you know, we can't, we can't dwell on it. We just got to move forward, but I'm really excited about what we've got uh, right now in our, in those two starters. One of the the big stories of the opening weekend was that Caleb Cali really struggled in that three hole hitting for Arkansas. Uh, he went 0 for eight, had seven strikeouts before he was lifted in the seventh inning of the TCU game. Jason Jones was brought in as a, a pinch hitter and then obviously a defensive replacement at third base and you know Jason had a, a pretty nice one game plus uh, there in Arlington had some uh, hits against Oklahoma State had the home run late against TCU two outs in the ninth inning after uh, that game was was already well in hand we didn't see from Cali a whole lot of swing and miss in the fall or in the preseason he did have one scrimmage though just before uh, the start of the year where maybe it was, uh, you could see a little bit of this coming. He did have four strikeouts in that scrimmage, but otherwise he's been a, a hitter who they've really commended for his ability not to chase pitches outside of the strike zone. What do you think was going on with him uh, down in Texas? Well, I think first of all, I think his first couple of the bats, I think, I think Lucas Gort made some good pitches on him. I think they saw something in the video you know, where he's, he's kind of flying off the ball a little bit. He, he likes to pull the ball. They, they stayed away with him and he made some really good pitches. So he struck out a couple of at bats. And then I think it turns into a mental thing. And you think about it, these guys, he's a veteran guy, but he's still, a, he's a college kid. There's a lot of pressure on you come into university of Arkansas. You're playing a globe life field. You're in the three hole. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure there. And I think after those first few at bats, I think he tensed up a little bit. And when you do that, boy, the eyes tense up when the eyes tense up, the body tenses up, then the game speeds up on you. And boy, it looked like it just sped up and boy, they wore him out on that outside part of the plate. And then they'd elevate a fastball and he would chase it. But you know, that's, that's baseball. I, I don't think Caleb Cali, I don't think he's done. I think he's going to get a lot of chances to play. I think he's still going to be a force in the middle of that lineup. We know he can hit, um, you know, the, and one thing I was going to, I was going to, I was going to tell you a stat, you know, a guy struggling baseball. There was, a, there was a time Derek Jeter went, went over 32. I don't know if you remember that it's, it's been a while. It was back in the 2004 season. And there was a lot of talk about it back then. The fans were on him, you know, there was all kinds of stuff. And, you know, so you talk about remedies. Well, what do you do when you're in a slump? Um, you got to, first of all, find your happy place, you know, um, you know, you can imitate your favorite major league hitter, you know, it's too early for him to find a slump buster. Baseball players out there know what I'm referring to. A slump buster can be whatever you want, but yeah, we won't even get delve into that. Um, but most importantly, the best advice I ever got, Matt, was to take at bats 10 pitches at 10 at bats at a time. All right. So 
you're over eight right now with seven Ks. If I was Caleb Cali, I'd start over right now. Over O. Season starts his next game. And you go 10 at bats at a time, and then you forget about those those seven. But but I'll tell you a funny thing, and you've probably heard this story about the golden thong. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I don't know if it's time for Caleb Kelly to have a golden thong. I hope no one in the Razorback Clubhouse has a golden <laughs> thong. But there was a Jason Jombie back in the day had a golden thong hanging from his locker. And, and Jeter used to always talk about it. He was like, dude, do you, you ever wear that? Yeah, if I struggle, I wear it. So he kept, Giambi kept trying to get Derek Jeter to wear the thong and he wouldn't do it. And finally, after going over 32, Jeter put it on. Uh, he, sa- he said he was clear that he put it on over his sliding shorts. First at bat, he hits a home run. And so that's kind of the story of the golden thong. So I don't know. I, I-, I might share that story with Caleb Kelly next time I see him. I don't know if he want- He may not want to hear that story, but there's just so many things. And that just goes to show you it- it's mental. It's mm-hmm. mental. He put that thing on thinking uh, it's going to work. And it did. And he hit a home run and then the slump was over and he went on and had a, actually a great year. And so that it's so funny, the game of baseball, how it can, you can go from, you know, so high to so low. I say all the time, there's two types of players. There's, there's your humble player and there's that hump there, the, the player that's about to be humbled. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's just the game of baseball. I'm not worried about Caleb Cali. I think he's going to be fine. It's just a matter of getting back out there. Now, with that being said, Matt, Jason Jones is talented. He's a really good freshman, but there's a way to get all those bats in the lineup and Dave Van Horn will figure it out. Yeah. Van Horn said that uh, he's going to make Jason Jones play him or he's going to make, he's going to make Jason Jones, you know, force him to, to play him. And uh, you know, we'll see if Jason Jones can run with this opportunity. Uh, obviously had uh, a, a pretty good outing down in Arlington, like we said, in the, the, the time that he was able to get into the lineup. But, but it was inevitable that we were going to hear these uh, th- this kind of talk. I've already heard it. You know, Jalen Battles would have made that play. Robert Moore would have made that play. Uh, defense in Arlington, what were your thoughts? There was one error, but, you know, Dave Van Horn mentioned that there were a couple of double play balls uh, that, that weren't executed well enough early in that TCU game that he thought probably cost them about five runs. Okay, well, I don't like excuses, Matt. And I agree. There were, there were a couple of balls. Uh, you know, there was one, John Bolton had one, had he made that play, it ends the inning, you know, five runs scored after that. Um, there was another one, Caleb Cali, just a little bobble. They weren't, they weren't errors. They were just bobbles. And it was just that split seconds, the difference in turning to and not turning to John Bolton's the next batter, of course, hits a double you know, and drives in a couple of runs, but, you know, I'm going to make an excuse for these guys. Um, I think the turf, I think that turf, they, they underestimated the ball hit to John Bolton was hit 106 miles an hour. I think it surprised him at how quick it got to him. You saw it happen to Marcus Brown in the Oklahoma state game. Um, Who hit that ball to Marcus? Someone hit it to Marcus, like 105, 106 miles an hour. He booted it. I think it it might've been Jace Borfin. Uh, He booted it. And uh, we, we scored five runs after that. I think these guys just had a hard time adjusting from turf to dirt. That's an odd combination. Look, I hate excuses, but, but I think it is what it is. Other than that, you know, John, John Bolton made some really good plays. Peyton Stovall made some great plays. He made one diving or where he slid on his knee to his right, came up and made a play at first base. I thought we made some really good plays, uh, but it's that routine double play. And we talk all the time, the great players make the routine play. We didn't make those routine double play balls. And that's something that we're going to have to do going down the road. But, but let's just blame it on the turf. What do you think about that? <laughs> that's uh, if you say so uh, <laughs> Arkansas plays Eastern Illinois this weekend uh, two o'clock on Friday noon on Saturday one o'clock on Sunday uh, those are the three games that'll be played before we have our next podcast we'll play Illinois State next Wednesday at Baumwalker Stadium Wednesday afternoon Steve Holm the Illinois State coach uh, always seems like he brings some some tough teams into Fayetteville I bring all this up to say this Bubba uh, Dave Van Horn, if he beats EIU on uh, or any of the games, uh, it'll be his 800th victory at Arkansas. But a lot of people know about that. Here's a, a number that a lot of people may not know about. If he wins all three games this weekend, he will pass Gary Adams, the longtime UCLA coach, uh, in career victories, and he will tie Wayne Graham, the great Rice coach, 
uh, and, and Dave is moving really close. He, he's not too far away either from uh, Tony Robicho and Andy Lopez. Uh, and uh, he's seven wins behind Lopez. When he passes Lopez, inevitably, he's going to move into the top 30 uh, winningest coaches all time in NCAA baseball. Uh, just a, a really neat stretch of games coming up here where he can pass a lot of the big names in college baseball coaching history. Pretty impressive, Matt. Actually, it's very impressive. But here's the thing I love about Dave Van Horn. If you go to Dave Van Horn after his 800th win and, and congratulate him, he's just going to say, oh, thanks, Matt. I've, I've, I've been blessed with a lot of really good players. It's, that's, that's the way he views it. Every time someone says something about his accomplishments, he, he just he, he, he attributes his to his players and his coaching staff. And, and that's the type of person he is. And hey, but he's a he's a great coach. I've, I've been around baseball a long time. Just seeing how he manages his players, just the talent. It's hard. It's hard in today's game. You know, you get a lot of guys coming in here that you can call them whatever you want, prima donnas. They've been babied their whole life. Dave takes those players and molds them into Razorback baseball players and, and Razorback baseball wins. You can clump all these good players together. It doesn't mean you're going to win until you teach them to play your style of baseball. And Dave does that. And that's what makes him so special. And he's, he's the best coach in college baseball. And, and uh, hopefully he's going to be around here for a long time. 1170 career victories for Van Horn. And that only takes into consideration uh, what he's done in NCAA level uh, coaching. So Central Missouri at the Division II level, those wins count. Uh, obviously, what he's done here at Arkansas, Nebraska, Northwestern State, down in Louisiana, it does not count the victories uh, that he had in junior college, the five years that he spent in Texarkana. Uh, last year, he passed some big names. Uh, Ray Tanner, Mike Gillespie were a couple of the ones he passed. And the last coach uh, who actually ranks behind Dave Van Horn right now, Bubba, any guesses? Who you got? Norm DeBryan. Yeah, he passed he passed Norm DeBryan on the career wins list last year uh, during the postseason. So Dave Van Horn, again, uh, he's seven wins away from being in the top 30 winningest coaches all time in NCAA history. Um, like I said, just a, a neat stretch of games coming up from that perspective. Again, Arkansas EIU this weekend at Baumwalker Stadium. Hope you'll come to wholehogsports.com to read all of our coverage from the games. You can also hear Bubba uh, with Phil Elson the first two games, right? Bubba, uh, this weekend against CIU, and then you're going to have a fill-in on day three? Yes, sir. We got a fill Friday and Saturday, and then we got Nick Batters uh, on Sunday. And Nick actually got the AAA job with the Royals this year. Okay. So, uh, and Nick's, uh, he's already texted me. He's excited to be back here in Fayetteville. He loves Fayetteville, loves the Razorbacks. So, so we'll have a lot of fun on Sunday. So he'll come down from Omaha, get out of that cold weather you know, for this weekend. Hopefully he doesn't bring it with him to Baumwalker right. Stadium. Again, hope you'll join us at wholehogsports.com this weekend and next week on the Whole Hog Baseball Podcast. For Bubba Carpenter, I'm Matt Jones. We appreciate you joining us. Have a great week, everyone. The proceeding has been a production of wholehogsports.com. Look for our latest podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast store. And visit us anytime at wholehogsports.com for the latest news and commentary.